Scripture reading this afternoon will be from Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one who believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let, let each be fully convinced in his own mind. I invite you to be taking out your Bibles and your New Testaments, be turning to Romans chapter 14. That's where we are going to be spending the majority of our time in study of God's Word together this afternoon. We hope that you have brought your Bibles and that you are ready to study from God's Word. We are thankful for the opportunity to be together once again this Lord's Day. We're thankful for the providence of God and caring for us and watching over us and protecting us and allowing us to be together to study from his word, to worship him, and to glorify his great and matchless name. I can think of no chapter in the New Testament that has brought more controversy or that has presented great difficulty to many brethren over the span of my lifetime, honestly, than Romans chapter 14. And that is somewhat ironic because it is a chapter that is about unity and how we should have a unified fellowship, how we should be able to get along. And yet it is one that has sadly brought about some controversy. It is a chapter that is difficult to understand at times. I can grant that because of some of the language that Paul uses that we are going to talk about this afternoon. Yet it has this very clear and practical purpose, helping Christians maintain unity and fellowship with each other, especially when we may not always agree. And you get more than you know, one person in a room, you're going to find there are going to be times where you don't always agree with the other person next to you. And this is a chapter that I think is intended to help us navigate some of those situations where we might disagree. And you might question, well, what kind of matters can we disagree about? And that's going to be something that is worth our attention this evening. But I want you to think about who Paul was originally writing to here in this letter to the Romans, to the Christians that were at Rome, the church that was established there. This is a church that was, prime, well, not primarily Jew or Gentile. It was a very mixed kind of group, it seems. In chapter 15, we see that as Paul is writing, he says in verse 8, For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God, to confirm the promises given to the fathers, and for the Gentiles to glorify God for His mercy, as it is written, therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, there shall come 
the root of Jesse, and he who rises to rule over the Gentiles in him shall the Gentiles hope. It's hard to imagine more polar opposites than a Jew and a Gentile, especially in the first century. From lifestyle to just general hobbies and practices to diets to days that are observed and days that are uh, kept as holy from religious differences. Whereas Jews were certainly monotheistic, that they only worshipped Yahweh, the, the God of the Bible. And then you have Gentiles who were in large part idolatrous, where they worshipped many gods, very polytheistic in their uh, belief in religious systems and practices. Complete opposites here. And now you are essentially after they have come to both believe that Jesus is their Savior, that they need forgiveness of their sins, now they are in a church together, Jew and Gentile alike. With all those differences, with all the baggage that comes along with that. It's hard to imagine a more tedious kind of situation and scenario where you're going to have differences all the time. And what also I think might be playing a part in this is in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter uh, 18, the Apostle Paul, he is in Corinth. And he, this is where we learn that he is a tent maker in Acts chapter 18. And just from a purely historical standpoint, I think this also plays an important factor here. In Acts chapter 18, and in verse 1, it says, After these things he left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he made with them, and they were working he stayed with them and they were working for by trade they were tent makers. What you see as we are introduced to Aquila and Priscilla here is that they were from Rome, that they had to leave Rome because Claudius, the emperor, he had, he had exiled all Jews from Rome. That occurred A.D. 49. Okay? And the book of Romans, as best as we can tell, is probably written A.D. 56, A.D. 57, somewhere in there, that time frame. Jews have been accepted into Rome again, okay? But for a period of time, three, four, five years, Jews were not able to be in the city of Rome at all. And so as the church was established in Rome, presumably there were Jews there, but then AD 49, Claudius, he exiles them, okay? So now you have a church that was mixed with Jew and Gentile. Then it becomes a Gentile-only church at AD 49. And then about four or five years later, all the Jews come back. And so now you're having to work through all these problems again. By the time Paul is writing this, I think that has a lot of the background to what is taking place and what Paul's message is in Romans chapter 14. 
And so let's dig in and try to understand what the message of Romans chapter 14 is because I think it is so sad that it has been so misunderstood and debated and it has certainly been misused and abused by people. And that has not helped to clarify any of the misunderstanding or the hard parts of Romans chapter 14. And so first I want us to think about just... We need to define our terms because there are terms that are used in Romans chapter 14 that are pretty unique here to the book of Romans, honestly. And that the first one is found in verse 1 when he says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Later on, we're going to see in verse 22 that Paul uses the word faith again. He says, The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. Now, faith in the Greek, pistis, it's not uncommon throughout the book of Romans. Paul talks a lot about faith and belief in Throughout the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, beginning there, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's the same Greek word there that's used throughout. So Paul talks about faith or belief throughout the book of Romans in chapter 3. In chapter 3 and verse 27, he says, Where then is boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith that this system of faith is what is going to bring about justification so faith is not at all uncommon throughout Paul's usage of the book uh, in, in the book of Romans in chapter 4 and verse 3 he talks about Abraham how he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he tells us in verse 12 of chapter 4 that we should follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham Faith is a very common word in the book of Romans, and that's just a few passages that we could look at. But in chapter 14, we need to step back and we need to see how is Paul using the term faith here. Because if he's talking about someone who is justified by the law of faith, that system of faith, someone who believes in Jesus Christ as their Savior, who has been... uh, who's been forgiven and made righteous and has been justified, then that's someone who is a Christian, right? And so he says in verse 14, in chapter 14, verse 1, now accept the one who is weak in faith. Accept the one who is weak in faith. That seems kind of odd, doesn't it? If someone is doubting their faith in Christ as the, as the Messiah, as the Savior, or if they are doubting their own salvation, or if they are doubting in the existence of God, if they are weak in faith in that sense, then those are certainly some lines of fellowship that I think, or tests of fellowship that we ought to not just accept. What Paul is doing in chapter 14 is using the word faith in a much more generalized sense, not in the special sense of someone who is saved by faith, but he's talking about someone's conviction. I want to show you that. Don't just take my word for it. I want you to see it. 
here in chapter 14. Notice in verse 1, he says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. You see, I thought we were talking about faith, uh, this person's faith. Well, now Paul says, no, it's about his opinions. Notice in verse 2, one person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. And then notice in verse 5, one person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Verse 14, He says, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. What we see as we are reading here in Romans chapter 14, as Paul's using this idea of faith, he's talking about one's conviction, one's confident conviction, one's certainty that they believe this beyond a shadow of a doubt, that this is true. And so as you come to chapter, or at the end of the chapter, in verse 22, the faith which you have, a very subjective kind of faith there, the conviction that you have or the, the opinion that you have, have as your own conviction before God. You see that he's using that term conviction interchangeably here throughout the book of Romans in the, in the 14th chapter. That has to be accounted for as we think here, as we work our way through this chapter. We have to recognize that Paul is not talking about the system of faith that justifies someone here. He's talking about faith that is an opinion or a conviction that someone might have. He's taking this uh, broader and more general definition of the word faith that just means a conviction. And he's saying that whatever someone practices, whatever your conviction is, You need to be fully convinced and convicted in your own mind about that practice. And so that leads us to the second major word that we have here in Romans chapter 14. And in verse 1, he describes this person who has faith as this conviction. He says they are weak. They are weak in faith, he says. Now accept the one who is weak in faith. If we understand faith properly, I think we can understand that weakness here is not someone who is doubting their salvation or their faith in God or Jesus Christ. This is someone who cannot practice something with full conviction or with the full confidence that's necessary. This is not someone who is shallow in their understanding of God's Word either. I think we, ha- we can sometimes uh, misunderstand that idea of weakness. This is not someone who is shallow. This is someone who is very zealous. They have a conviction but they, about something that is prohibiting them from doing something. That they cannot practice something with full conviction and confidence that it is right and that it is accepted before God. The weak person does not have a wrong or sinful position. We need to understand that here as well. That is, Paul, as we're going to get into the particulars here, what we have to just recognize at the outset, someone who has a weak position, it doesn't mean that they're wrong. It doesn't mean that they have a sinful position. It means that they are just 
they have some scruple in their mind that is preventing them from being able to participate in a certain activity with full confidence and, and conviction that it is right or accepted before God. That their opinion is prohibiting them from engaging. And so that's a necessary word that we have to understand here as we set out in our study of Romans chapter 14. And then... And this is something I have, maybe I should be ashamed to admit this, I don't know. I have grown up reading uh, the Bible most of my life. And I knew Romans chapter 14 was about the weak brother, and I always would have said that it was about the strong brother as well. But uh, it wasn't until this week that I realized the word strong is not found in Romans chapter 14. You go read it, and you, if I'm wrong, you tell me. I don't find the word strong in there. I didn't realize that. You have to go all the way to chapter 15 before you see the word strong brother that we oftentimes refer to in Romans chapter 15 and verse 1 where Paul says, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. And so here he does use the word strong. Now, I think he does describe the strong brother or sister in Romans chapter 14. If you notice in verse 14 where Paul says about himself, he says, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean to him, it is unclean. So I think here Paul is describing the strong position that he says, I'm convinced, I know this. And so he does define the idea of what it is to be strong. But if weakness is not a wrong position or a, a sinful position, the strong brother is not defined by rightness in his position. That's critical to our understanding in Romans chapter 14. That the strong brother... Of Romans chapter 14, he doesn't necessarily just have the right position or the one that we must follow. Actually, what I think is interesting is if we are following everything here logically and in the way that Paul is wanting us to recognize, the strong person, is they're not strong because they have a right opinion, they are strong because they are bearing with the weak. They are patient with them, while also protecting and maintaining the, their, the brother's weak conscience, careful to not judge the weak, nor to cause them to stumble. What defines that strong brother is not having this right opinion, while the weak brother has a wrong opinion. That's critical here to understand that the strong brother is going to be defined by his attitude towards the weak. And so we need to understand what's going on here. That you have in Romans chapter 14, Christians differing in their opinions and convictions about what is allowed for them to practice and participate in Romans chapter 14 and verse 2, 
He says, one person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. You can probably tell by that verse that I am not weak. I eat all things. But he says in verse 3, the one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. What we see as Paul just jumps right in here, as he is using, I think, these as illustrative purposes, and he's trying to get us to see that the issue of eating meats or of abstaining and eating only vegetables... That would be a point of contention, especially amongst Jews. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we have some things that Paul talks about. We'll, we'll re reference this in a little bit. But he certainly is looking at, in 1 Corinthians 8, meat that was sacrificed to idols. And if that is perhaps what Paul is addressing here in Romans 14, I could certainly see how a Jew would n not feel comfortable eating meat that was sold in the marketplace that had been offered in, as a sacrifice to an idol or something of that nature. And then he goes on here to talk about regarding days as holy and that some mark days as holy and other people they just treat every day alike. And what is very clear here is that these are just... a. Uh, matters of what I would call neutral liberties. That these are not moral or doctrinal issues that are defined as wrong. Now this is about what is what we are free to have a different opinion about. They, these are neutral in that sense. And as we need to remember these terms, faith is a conviction and a confident opinion. Someone who is weak is someone who does not have confidence in a particular practice. They do not feel comfortable engaging in such practice. And those who are strong, they are someone who bears with the weak despite a contrary opinion. There's nothing about choosing... Which one's right and which one's wrong in Romans 14? That's not our job. <laughs> if, that, if that's all that we focus on, I think we're missing what Paul's really trying to instruct us in here. And so what we have to do is we're going to need to keep those terms in mind and we need to understand that this is about matters of freedom or liberties that we have. And as he talks about the eating of meats versus abstaining in... In chapter 14 and verse 14, if we just want to know what Paul says, he says there, I know and am convinced in the Lord that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. In verse 20, he says, Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. Then... 
Paul is clear that, look, food in and of itself is not unclean. But if someone is, recognizes that as unclean and they can't get over that, that's their, their judgment on the matter. That's their opinion. That's a scruple that they might have that they might have to work through. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is, where he is writing about the meats that were sacrificed to idols, he says in verse 8 of 1 Corinthians chapter 8, But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do not eat. So if there is a true spiritual neutrality here, I think that's it right there, isn't it? Now, this is something that God is really kind of neutral about. If you want to eat, great. It's not going to commend you to God. It's not going to make you any better. It's not going to make you any holier. And if you abstain from eating the meat, it's not going to make you any better. It's not going to make you a better Christian. It's not going to make you any holier. You are both the same in whatever you decide. So if you want to eat, guess what? You're in the same standing as the one who's not eating the meat. And then he goes on in, first, in Romans chapter 14 about the days and observing of the days. Where he says in verse 5, One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. And what I find to be interesting, if you think about the, the Jew-Gentile relationships that would have been going on, I think if... And regarding the eating of meats, it would probably be the Jews who have an objection. Remember in the book of Daniel, Daniel and his friends, they aren't going to eat the, the king's food, Nebuchadnezzar's food. I think that may be kind of, kind of what's going on here in Romans 14. You have Jews who are not going to eat the food that's you know, bought in the, the Gentile marketplaces, the non-kosher food. And the Gentiles are like, why aren't you eating this? It's just meat. So in the first scenario with the regarding of meats, it's probably the Jew who has that objection. They're the vegetarian, if you will. They're the ones who, not, who are abstaining from eating the meat. But then you think about observance of holy days. You think a Jew is going to give up Sabbath? Or Passover? Or some of those important feast days that they want to observe that are, that are incredibly important to them? Probably not. And what I find to be very interesting about what Paul is doing there, he puts the Jew in the weak position in the first scenario, and then he puts the Jew in the strong position in the second scenario. He reverses the roles. Whereas in the first scenario, a Gentile might be in a stronger position, if you will, and then he puts them in the weak position in the second scenario. That should tell us something incredibly important, I think, about our opinions. 